Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. In this episode, we're discussing SST39, the Meat Puppets classic, Up on the Sun. Uh, I know Brant is more of a Meat Puppets fan than I am, but I'm still really looking forward to discussing this one. I got a few spiels to start off the show, but maybe I'd ask uh, you, Brant, do you have anything to blow my mind first this episode? I don't think so. I think I I overspieled last time. You blew my mind multiple times last Did time. Did I? Okay. Oh yeah. Well, I might yeah. yet in this episode, but not in this not in the spiel <laughs> section. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that sounds good. Hey, I got it. first I, I mean, I guess it's maybe it's a spiel, but more of a question. What do you think of that new damned record? Uh, what do I think of Evil Spirits? Yeah, the new man. damned. I love it. Yeah, yeah, me too. You asked me a few episodes ago uh, what I've listened to twice this week. I've listened to that album like 20 times this week, which yeah. is unprecedented for me. I love it. But I love The Damned. So, <laughs> I mean, like, you know. The playing is awesome, right? Paul Gray song. back in the band is a bonus. Um, Pinch is an amazing drummer. Uh, Monty uh, Oxymoron yeah. does great stuff with the keys. Like, all the yes. all the stuff he does is just awesome. Uh, Captain Sensible is one of the most underrated guitarists in rock. I don't even consider the damned a punk band. They're a rock band. Dave Vanian is like the pipes on the man. Like he just doesn't age. The songs yeah. are great. Tony Visconti's production is awesome. It's perfect for the damned. Uh, I don't really know what people are saying. If they're like, it's too too much of like, I mean, it's a lot like their last one. So who's paranoid to me? Yes which yeah. is a good thing because I love that album. And uh, The Damned Can Do No Wrong. I like all the stuff they did. I'm way, way less of a fan of some of the 80s stuff. Um, and, and I'm not alone in that. But I would say this new record, it spans, in my mind when I listen to it, all of their eras yeah. really well. They've never made a bad record, in my opinion. Some I prefer more than others, but uh, it's a killer album. Yeah, I thought I thought you might say that. I was just curious, and uh, I totally agree. One of my favorite new records of 2018, hands down. Yep. Uh, I also want to mention one other thing. Have you ever heard of a book? It's SST-related, very tangentially, though. It's called Let's Go to Hell, Scattered Memories of the Butthole Surfers, and it's written by a guy named James Burns. Have you ever heard of that one? Sounds familiar. Does yeah, it have so the I, weird revolution thing on the cover? Kind of? Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. Okay. Someone will correct me on, someone will correct me on that. Um, it does have on the back cover, just randomly, the words cheap drugs. I'm not sure if that's the, the publishing company. Yeah, it is. It's the publishing company. Um, it's kind of... Like it's it's a legit book, but it kind of has a copy and paste feel to it, like with lots and lots of photos and stuff. But anyways, it's it's the only or at least the best history of the butthole surfers that I've ever read. I just finished it, and it kind of starts out uh, right off the bat on their first tour, their first tour where they leave Texas. They go to California, and the first stop in California is the SST offices. Right. And they and they spend the night there and um they they kind of um 
were fortunate to kind of take advantage of SST and all their hospitality when they landed in California. And I thought that that was a, a cool connection with the podcast. One yeah. other thing that it it's, uh, was really interesting to me that I really didn't know um, until I read this was, you know, that guy Kramer that used to be in um, Shockabilly and ran that label Shimmy Disc. Does yep. that ring a bell? Yeah. Was he so, not in Lubricated Goat or is that somebody else? Uh, I don't think he was in Lubricated Goat. You might he's, be... he's all over that amphetamine reptile documentary. I remember that. He's interviewed extensively, I believe. Or no, yeah. he's sorry, he's in Bong Water. That's who he's in. Yeah, no, yeah. he's in Bong Water, and well, he's on. He's in like every second band on the Shimmy Disc label. Yeah, it seems. Yeah. And anyways, I I'm a big fan of a lot of stuff on Shimmy Disc, and I really like Kramer's solo stuff too. He's got a triple LP that is excellent. It's like a box set, and it came and went in an instant. And I I picked it up for way too much money a long time ago but i still really love that record anyways he puts out a lot of good music but he was when he left uh shockabilly he was also like a temporary bass player in buttle surfers and took them over to europe for the first time and basically as a replacement for a shockabilly tour that fell through because the band Mm. broke up anyways i that was a neat connection with kind of the well that's cool I mean, I, the the most I've read on Butthole Surfers is in Our Band Could Be Your Life. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure if that's mentioned in there. It's been forever since I read that book, but that's Me cool. Too. That's yeah. cool. Um, and I'm probably, I will just say right now before I get torn apart, I'm probably confusing Kramer with somebody else that's in that uh, The Color of Noise documentary too. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you are. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to correct you. I'll let I'll let uh, the central scrutinizer correct you. He's probably the central scrutinizer. He's probably not even in the documentary, actually. So <laughs> <laughs> even better. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I've, I wanted to mention, you know, I was thinking back. You know, part of the reason that we're doing this podcast is just for me, anyways. It's it's a a bit of a nostalgia about. A label about following bands about discovering music and and a bit of like you know i don't know a, a bit of a kind of a, a history lesson uh, yeah. shall we say anyways as you know i really like kind of digging back into older labels kind of defunct labels and finding uh like weird tangents and band connections and stuff like that and I can't help but mention one that came up that was really cool. It's it's very tangentially related to SST, but of the same era, of the same ilk. There is uh, a band way back called My Dad Is Dead. They actually put out records, I think, into the early 2000s. But their prime, in my mind, was when they were on Homestead. And shortly after that, they were on a, a label out of Texas. Anyways... I've been trying to find a couple of their discs, and this is the beautiful thing about, you know, following a label, uh, researching it, uh, trying to collect this stuff, dig deeper, is um, I just hit like a random Google, and I landed on the guy, Mark Edwards, from My Dad is Dead, and I just hit him up, and I said, hey, I can't find any of this stuff. It's way too much money on Discogs. Do you have any of it? And he's like, yeah, just send me some, send me some bucks. 
and I'll and I'll I'll put them in a package for you. So wow, very cool. And um, I so mean, you're you're preparing um, for when this is done in eight years, so we can do homestead next. <laughs> is that? Well, I've I well maybe, but I've I've also I've actually I think I've told you if I had my druthers, um, the one I would love to do after this one would actually be alternative tentacles. Oh yeah, but but um, but maybe maybe I'll I'll do an offshoot on homestead. Anyways, it, it was just it was just a really neat connection um, this week, and I guess I would just encourage people to keep making more connections and and try and find these musicians who put out this music a long time ago and connect with them and uh, tell them that you like their stuff and maybe you can give some uh, you know some dough right to the musician right like I just think that rather than spending a bunch of cash on discogs or something yeah that's a great um, point one other thing that uh, final spiel for me I guess I have the most spiels this week you remember our good buddy Paul Hilkoff yes so I don't know if you saw this on one of the SST message boards over the last uh, couple of weeks, but there was a big uh, string on Volcano Suns. You, you know that band? Yep. Yeah, I saw it. I didn't really follow it, but they uh, a lot of us on there we were kind of posting about you know Mission of Burma, Volcano Suns related stuff, and going on a bunch of cool tangents. And Paul Kalkoff chipped in, and apparently. He's, um, in addition to his insane Husker Du website, he also, I don't know, is a webmaster or administer for um, the Customized website, Customized with a K. Do you know that band? No. That's uh, Prescott's band from Mission of Burma, and uh, they're awesome, and uh, people should check that out. Another one of... Um, this is a current band? That, no, Customized oh. have been uh, defunct for a while. They put out a couple of records... And a couple of singles. Uh, any fan of Volcano Suns should check out Customized with a K. I thought I saw something about Peter Prescott having a current band that was playing with Mesthetics. Uh, I think Prescott's current band is called Mini Beast. Yep, that's the band. Yep. Yeah, I've got one of their records. It's kind of um, experimental sounding. Pretty yeah. cool. I re I I followed his stuff, but especially, and of course, we'll get into it later on this podcast. Uh, Roger Miller stuff too. I should let you know, Ryan. I have no Bruce Duff, uh, Jeff Dahl, no. info for you tonight. There, no. there is no connections to the Meat Puppets that I could find. Oh, uh, Jeff Dahl. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> I don't know. I almost, I almost just want to like pack it all in. in. Put my head in the sand now. <laughs> well, let's talk about up on the sun. History lesson part one. Okay, Ryan, I have, I have a few thoughts on the meat puppets. Lay it on me. Well, okay, so uh, I don't know if we talked about this before. I don't think we have, but I was thinking about this the other day. Um, so you and I used to play in a band together, like twenty plus years ago, right? And uh, we just, whatever, the band ran its course and you kind of retired at that time. I played in a few other bands and then also retired and we played a reunion show like, I don't know, three or four years ago we got asked to play a benefit show and you and I were pretty rusty, I would say. I was, for sure. 
and I hadn't really played guitar much in many, many years. So I had to really practice and I was noodling around one night in the months leading up to that reunion show. And I just stumbled across the lick for, uh, uh, Maiden's Milk. Oh yeah. And I like, I accidentally played part of it or something. And then I just sat there and figured it out and just was playing it like constantly leading up to that gig mostly because it was fun to play but it's also a really good kind of warm-up it's like a finger exercise almost and i mean the stuff we played is it wasn't it's not like we were playing prog rock but it was fairly complicated stuff and required a lot of you know dexterity and uh, that that song really helped with my chops and my so my big plan was i was going to fire up my axe and I was going to, I was going to play that riff or that lit, whatever riff, lick, whatever you want to call it, uh, to start off the podcast for you tonight. That was going to be my mind blower for tonight. What? Yeah. Do it. Well, I can't. I tried. <laughs> 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 my guitar has been hanging up on the wall since that reunion gig, like three years ago. And I pulled it down tonight and I couldn't do it. I couldn't even oh. remember how to play it, but it got me thinking about, uh, Kurt Kirkwood and I mean, we've kind of gone through some real uh, SST shredders. We've talked, we've gushed about Greg Ginn and Joe Biza and D Boone, Bob Mould even, Des Kadena, Felice Lococo. And uh, there's some to come for sure, like Jay Mascus and uh, and uh, hey. Thur- Thur- uh, Thurston Moore and Lee Ronaldo. Uh, some, you know, Ed Crawford, I'm a big fan of, you might not consider him a shredder, but he's definitely got his own style. And some of the lesser known ones like, uh, Sylvia Giancosa and a whole bunch more that I'm probably, I probably don't even know of, you know, that I'm going to discover. Yeah. Uh, but for me, pound for pound, uh, Kirk Kirkwood's right up there. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned Ed Crawford. You, you are a bigger Me Puppets fan than I am. I appreciate them. I like them. Uh, I've always liked them, but I know that they kind of go much deeper to your core. Um, but you and I both share a very deep uh, appreciation of Firehose. And when I was listening to this record this week, Up on the Sun, for the first time, it hit me as like, wow, that Firehose song on Raging Full On about the meat puppets. Yep. There is a like, it's really clear to me, anyways, upon hearing this this week, that uh, Ed Crawford was listening to the Meat Puppets. I think everybody on SST was. I call them the Chris Christopherson of like indie and college indie rock and college rock. And what I mean by that is you hear that notion about Chris Christopherson with like the outlaw country movement in the early 70s, in the sense that he wasn't like the huge star of the scene uh, you know as far as like record sales go but he was a huge influence on all all of the like um you know Merle Haggard Waylon Jennings they all just worshipped him and covered his songs and Willie Nelson and all those guys and it's totally like that for the Meat Puppets like every band on SST I think was influenced by the Meat Puppets if not uh, musically by I've said it before like they gave bands permission in the in this in this scene to let their freak flag fly and do whatever they wanted 
yeah by just having the balls to do it themselves you know and 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 setting that setting that precedent yeah and it's to me as well like i mentioned um you know the cross-pollination between kirkwood and crawford it's clear to me as well listening to this record that chris kirkwood and watt were they were they were feeling each other too around this era for sure well i was going to get to that next you know we've again we've gushed over kira and how how rock solid she is and i'm not making comparisons you know uh obviously mike watt is the daddy of all bass players really but like you got to give it to chris kirkwood man he's he just rules on this album he's all over the neck uh his playing is so tasty it it's a perfect compliment to what his brother does. It's just awesome. The way they play together is there's definitely a brotherly thing going there with the connection they have, I would say. And the the way, you know, the, I always, I've probably made this point before, but uh, Keith Richards and Ron Wood have a thing they call the ancient art of weaving, where they kind of, and if, if you're a Stones fan, you know what that is. Like they, the way they play together it's just they've played together for so long that it's just this super intuitive thing that they do and chris and kirk kirk would have that yeah and and yep, derek bostrom sure. derek bostrom's no slouch either on the drums yeah i agree with you in terms of you know your analysis of chris kirkwood's bass playing i will say though that his tone on this record is like not my favorite type of bass tone but uh the playing's great I think it works for the record. I, I get what you're saying, uh, but I think it works for me. Because it's so upfront, which is important for the sound of the record. Oh, I don't care. Like I, I'm not taking issue with the mix. I'm taking issue with the tone. I, I mean the tone. The tone um, cuts through. It, it It's not oh, just the mix. It It's, uh, you know, it's almost like, a, it's like a baritone guitar or something. Yeah, it sounds. I don't know. I'm probably way off. It sounds like a, uh, like a jazz bass or something playing on like the bridge pickup to me or something. It which is just not my style. But yeah. um, the playing's great. Yeah. So I wanted to get that out of the way about uh, the the quality of the musicianship because, you know, I'm not sure how much we've talked about that in previous Meat Puppets episodes, but it's it's huge on this one, and uh, I. I don't know, Ryan, I maybe should have brought this up in the spiel section, but there's a few other things I wanted to mention. We're, we're well into 1985 here, and there's a couple significant uh, SST-related things, and they're Meat, Pup related, Meat Puppet-related too, that I, I feel like we should get on the record here. And that's, uh, we should talk about the tour, which is a pretty significant part of SST lore, and, and it happened right around the time that this album came out. It happened late February, early March of 85. And most people who follow the label closely know what the tour was, but it was, I want to say, a five-date tour with uh, Husker Du headlining, The Minutemen, The Meat Puppets, Saccharin Trust, and Swa. I have it that they played at the Keystone in Palo Alto, Alto, the Stone in San Francisco, which was also recorded, the UCLA Ackerman Grand Ballroom in L.A., and the Rock Palace in San Francisco, a.k.a. Carpenter's Hall. And there was a live video shot at the Stone in San Francisco, which is the same place that uh, Live in 84 
by Black Flag and the October Faction albums were recorded. It was released on VHS uh, about a year later in 1986 on SS, SS TV. <laughs> it was yeah, on VHS, right? Yeah, it was SSTV 002. I think Live in 84 would have been the first one. First one. <laughs> Re-release them, Greg. It, Re-release well, them. It's on YouTube. I want to watch it on a DVD, man. Yeah, me too. There's four four songs by Swa, four by Sacred Trust, uh, including Peace Frog Ryan. Uh, six by the Meat <laughs> uh, by the Meat Puppets, and a lot of those are covers. Little Wing, Midnight Rider, Good Golly Miss Molly. Uh, Meat Puppets were kind of like the replacements in the sense that they were known for playing a lot of covers. Five Minute Men songs, seven Husker Du, and we'll get to this shortly. Of those seven songs, there was Hate Paper Doll, Green Eyes, Divide and Conquer, Makes No Sense at All, all of which uh, were not released at the time, following uh, their track record of doing that. And then that all the bands jam on Louie Louie. So I wanted to mention that. And uh, you've probably seen the tour poster before, uh, which is a naked hippie <laughs> hitchhiking. This is a Pettibone drawing. Uh, and his sign his hitchhiking sign says Gra- grass and acid for a trip to the tour and the o the o on the word tour is a peace sign so i thought that was kind of cool yeah totally so if anybody hasn't seen that we'll we'll post it on our social media one other thing i wanted to mention ryan uh, to just like i said to get on the record is around this time ray farrell came on with sst and uh, he's a pretty important guy in, in the label's history. You hear a lot of bands uh, tell you he was kind of pivotal in them, you know, staying with the label. And I kind of asked Joe Carducci to kind of lay out in just a couple sentences how Ray Farrell came on their radar. And here's what Joe said. Uh, he knew him from coming, uh, knew, Ray was coming into Systematic, where uh, Joe was working before he came on it to SST. Ray was coming in as a buyer for Rather Ripped Records, which was the first great record shop in Berkeley. And uh, Joe says, I just knew he listened to everything from 50s roots onward to German psychedelia, noise, industrial, etc. Then one day I was in a car. Uh, Oh, uh, Ray also had a radio show on Maximum Rock and Roll Radio and hosted his own show on KPFA in Berkeley. Joe says, One day I was in a car and I saw Ray waiting at a bus stop on a Saturday on his way home from Rough Trade, which where he was working at the time. Ray was. Uh, so even though I didn't know him well, I figured he was not only the guy we could think of to do phone work and PR at SST, he was overqualified as far as his knowledge of music. He later told me that the quality of Meat Puppets 2 and Double Nickels, which I had sent him as cassette dubs pre-release, made him jump after me asking him for over a year. I probably said in a letter that these records needed better PR than we could do. So Hmm. I wanted to get that on the record. I'm sure Ray Farrell will be coming up. And I mean, Ray Farrell's had quite the career. Uh, He left SST in February of 88 for a stint at Blast First, and then he was off to Geffen as the head of alternative marketing from 89 to 95. So just think about that for a minute. Yeah. Um, that's like the heyday of Geffen's, you know, alternative department. He worked closely with Nirvana, Sonic Youth. Uh, he moved in later to A&R. 
so I just kind of wanted to mention that because we haven't yet and we're I feel like we're halfway through 1985 already pretty close there's only a couple of more releases that we'll go through before we're into uh the first one of 86 yeah you know what else i was thinking about ryan i didn't go back to check you know when some of those if we even know when some of these other albums in 85 were released but i have this meat puppets one released in i have it recorded at total access with spot uh in january January 26th through 28th, 85, and released in March of 85. So I kind of assumed that this one was record, like kind of shelved, like a lot of the re- releases were, you know, like kind of left in the queue. But if that's right, this was released like almost right after it was recorded. Really quick. Yeah, and so I, I just have to think that they were releasing stuff out of sequence from the catalog numbers. Oh, I'm pretty sure. I'm. I mean, well, maybe I'm not that sure. When you get later on in the SST catalog, I think that's a hundred percent. Right now, in this era, eighty-five, it's probably likely, but um, I don't. I don't know that with as much certainty as like later on in the catalog when stuff just gets crazy. Well, I think they would have had to have been if, assuming that's right, that this came out in March of eighty-five, like. There's no way all the stuff, I mean, I didn't, like I said, I didn't go back, but like October Faction, I think, came out way later in the year, if I'm remembering right, you know? Yeah. So, just as an example. And, yeah, I, I they, mean, we'll get to it next week, but I'm pretty sure Dos Domin came out in 86. I'm pretty sure it came out in 85 on Ecstatic Peace um, first. But it, we will it get it. It did, we will yeah, get... but on SST, I think, in 86. So, we'll see when we get there, but... I don't, I don't even have an SST version of that one, so I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, uh, back to the, back to the meat puppets. Hey, is this, uh, is this like the last spot record for SST? It could be. If it is, he went out with a bang because I think this one sounds great. It does, yeah. A lot of that apparently has to do with Kurt's gear. On this one, he has, he had a brand new, is it, uh, Schultz? Rockman preamp and that's credited as credited as playing a major role in his his sound on this album. So their their original plan for the album was to borrow an 8-track recorder, tape recorder from a local record store or a music music shop and uh, they were going to record the album at their sound man's house and they only finished a handful of songs and I think all of them uh, have been released as bonus tracks on the the uh the cd reissue and uh those are pretty cool versions Uh, most of them are much slower than the album versions and uh the the whole plan got scrapped because they had to return the recorder because somebody bought it (laughs) so they say when they went in when they did go in with spot they were well prepared because they had basically demoed some of the songs and they banged them off in three days recorded and mixed in three days which to me is just astonishing when you hear this album it doesn't sound like an album that was recorded and mixed in three days there's tons of overdubs it's even the overdubs are really well planned out so i i got that information from this great book that greg prado did called too too high to die meet the meat puppets or it might have come from the liner notes to the reissue i'm not sure but chris also says in i think it's in the too high to die book that it was a 16 track fostex 
recorder and uh, the sound tech's name or their their live sound guy was his name was Daryl DeMarco. He and, gets a thanks on the back. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I'll just read some quotes here that I pulled that I really liked about the album. Dave Markey says uh, in in this book he says the best thing that Spot ever produced, best sounding hands down. Kim Thale, what I liked about up on the sun was that it showed that these guys were great musicians and that Kirk was one Kurt was one of the greatest guitarists in punk rock and the underground. Des Kadena, maybe the best sounding SST record. It didn't bother me like it might have bothered other people that they had gotten more polished or had written more melodic songs. I'm a musician. I like uh, seeing musicians grow. Doug March from Built to Spill. Uh, he talks about how he was a big fan of R.E.M. and the Smiths, and he puts them, the Meat Puppets, more in that category than the Black Flag Camp, which is a, you know, a good point to make, because we're really starting to get into the, you know, the college rock era here. College rock, yeah, yep. for sure. You hear lots of Grateful Dead comparisons around this time, which I think is, you know, fairly accurate. You can you can definitely hear uh, some Grateful Dead influences. Um, they did a lot of Grateful Dead type things, like played in played in the desert for like <laughs> huge, you know, huge secret parties whatever, where they, you know, everyone was tripping on acid and stuff. They called their fans meatheads, which is, you know, a, definitely a Grateful Dead reference. Yeah. And, and, you know, playing in the desert is a thing that the Grateful Dead did for sure. You know, that's definitely a part of uh, Meat Puppets lore, I would say, is their, their connection to the Grateful Dead. The, the liner notes to these reissues are good. There was a one thing I wanted to mention, a review from 1985 in the NME that I really liked from uh, Richard Grable. Grable. He says, who knows what the desert sounds like? The sound the Meat Puppets slowly developed over their first two albums and, and have now brought to a thrilling perfection is an idealized sonic allusion to the desert of our cinematic, cinematic dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It is a music pervaded by a sense of open space, haunted by the feeling of desolation and evocative of lonely reverie. Uplifting, delicate, inspiring, intricate, personal, important. Upon the sun is all of these things. I like that. He had a thesaurus at hand. Yeah. Well, I'd say it's a pretty accurate description of this album for me. Yeah. That's all I really have about, you know, leading up to this album. You know, they were doing a ton of touring before and after this really living living it like they were full-time musicians you know yeah they were now part of sst's key stable of bands that were keeping it float and allowing it to start to get really crazy with some upcoming releases well you know they were getting tons of critical acclaim too which is you know not something a lot of sst band bands were getting you know you're i think that's part and parcel of bringing on ray farrell and like doing things like again, they released a uh, a promo single for this with uh, "Swimming Ground" and "Up on the Sun" to like release to college radio stations, you know. And I think they really started to see that that was an avenue for them, you know, especially after Double Nickels and Zen Arcade. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I'm ready to talk about the uh, the actual recording. Yeah, let's get uh, even further up on the sun. History Lesson, Part 2. Uh, I made some notes about uh, some of the songs. Yeah, I'm curious to see, uh, to hear your thoughts okay. on those. Because, because again, like, 
the thing that just kept on coming up in my mind over and over listening to it was like Ed Crawford was coming up over and over in my mind. Yeah, well, you hear a lot of stuff about it's a very, you know, it sounds like the desert. And I I totally get that. Like, Meat Puppets 2, I remember reading a quote where there was one of the songs where it sounded like echoes off a desert, you know, a cavern and stuff like that. And you can definitely get your head around that when you're listening to it. So side one starts with the title track, Up on the Sun. It's got great lyrics, great riff. And uh, I love how the chorus comes kind of at the end of the song. It kind of shifts gears and got lots of cool psychedelic stuff going on in the background. This is definitely more pronounced on the demo if you if you have the CD, the reissue. It's a much slower version and like the, the kind of psychedelic stuff going on in the background is definitely more pronounced. But the second song is Maiden's Milk. It's an amazing riff. Uh, apparently the whistling part came from a riff Chris added to the song. Kurt suggested while they were in the studio, he suggested instead of recording the riff, why don't we on guitars, why don't we whistle it? <laughs> and uh, I like it, but I always think of Mark Arm, <laughs> where he's talking about the whistling song on uh, Me Puppets 2, and he he says, I've always hated whistling, so I, I hate that song, or whatever he says. Yeah, well, Mark Arm hates a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, track three, Away, I just wrote. It's an awesome song. I love that song. Track four, Animal Kingdom. It's got great lyrics. Uh, I love the animal sounds that they make in the background. Made with instruments. It sounds yep. really awesome. Uh, Hot Pink, great bass playing. It's a very psychedelic song. It's got some Minutemen vibes. And uh, there's two demos on the CD version. One is very extended, and it's got some really trippy vibraphone going on in it which is cool and track six swimming ground it's another killer riff and i love kurt's overdubs on this song and i gotta think they've maybe considered that one as like one of the uh singles while they did release they it uh, release it as the a side of the promo seven inch i was yeah. mentioning yeah this is i'm pretty sure people look at this one as kind of the hit right yeah for sure uh side two starts with buckethead it's a really cool song um, I love the way the bass and guitar weave together in that one. Uh, number eight, track eight, Too Real. It's one of the most rock songs on the album. It's, that's the one that kind of has the surfy spy riff. And it's got some real rock style leads. It's like one of the only songs that's got distorted leads on it. Track nine, Enchanted Forest. It's, that's a really weird song. It, sounds, it starts off with this really frantic sounding riff. And then goes into the trippy psychedelic part. At the end. Sorry, what did you call what did you call that song? Uh, Enchanted Forest. Boy, oh boy! When I read it, it says Enchanted Enchanted Pork Fist. Oh, did I? Uh, maybe I got that wrong. Hold on. Oh shit! You better fix that, or you're gonna have more puppet controversy. <laughs> you're right. Enchanted Pork Fist. My bad. <laughs> you could start that over if you want. No, it's okay. Uh, actually, now that you mention it, I seem to recall one or both of them talking in the book about how they. And how they t come up with some of their ideas for lyrics or song titles. And that was like misheard at breakfast one time. <laughs> Somebody said like something breakfast. This is an enchanting breakfast or something like that. And they heard enchanted pork fist or something. It's in the book anyways. Track 10, Seal Whales. It's a cool, trippy, laid back instrumental. I think it might be one of the only instros on the 
album, which is kind of breaking with Meat Puppet's tradition. And the last track, Two Rivers, is one of my favorite songs uh, on the album. Uh, starts out sounding super ominous, and then once the lyrics start, it gets all pretty. And I just love like the trickling water sounding harmonics. I just think they're genius. That's all I have. It's a killer album. Do you have anything to add to the music? No, you covered it pretty well in terms of any kind of thoughts that I had. I mean, as a guitarist yourself, you have a lot more kind of insight and thoughts than I would in terms of the way that they're playing and the effects and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, to me, I'm this curious. is the best. This is the best Meat Puppets album on SST for sure. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's Let's one, talk about the artwork. It, yeah, I was gonna say it's probably one of the best albums on SST, but we'll see. Ah, oh, uh, like okay, hold on a second. Like out of how many? Top five, top ten, top twenty? It's, it's top ten for sure, but. You know, I'll I'll will reserve judgment on that. But as it stands right now, it is based on what I what I have heard of the SST catalog, which is like not even fifty percent of it. So no, fair enough. For me, like I said, some of my favorite SST records, we haven't even gotten close to them yet. And so I just wonder whether if we were talking top ten for me, I'm pretty sure that this one would be edged out by another ten. Yeah, I might be eating my words there, but. Eat them. Yeah. Uh, well, to be continued. <laughs> Kirk Kirkwood did the artwork, as he usually does, on the cover at least. Apparently this is a marijuana leaf on the coffee cup. Yeah, for sure. Derek Bostrom kind of talked. He, so he usually laid out the albums and put them together. And he says he never had to... Or here's a quote. He said, you usually didn't have to come up with art for the stuff. There was always so much of it laying around. Like, that's the thing about the Meat Puppets is... You know, yeah, Kurt wrote the the songs, but they were all artists in that band. Like, I remember reading, I think it's in Enter Naomi, that uh, at some point in 1984, Derek Bostrom brought brought an album to Joe Carducci of like a solo album that he did. Joe Carducci was kind of keen on releasing it, but I think the, uh, according to Derek, the the Kirkwood brothers kind of kiboshed it because they didn't want you know people going outside the band or whatever. But I mean, these guys are all artists. They all apparently carried around notebooks and drew constantly. Chris does a lot of the artwork. Derek on the vinyl LP uh, did a drawing of the band. They're all, they're all definitely artists. In my, like I just have, um, maybe it's like an OG version of the SST CD. That's all I've got. And it doesn't have a drawing of the band anywhere. But it does have a drawing on, I guess, the back cover. That's a different. That's a different one. Yeah. So, Unless- so I have the Ryko disc reissue, and it's got all of the original art in it. This back drawing that would be done by Kurt as well, right? Is it kind of the Picasso kind of a thing? Yes. Yeah. It kind of. I mean, for me, it kind of looks like like a guitar, almost like a lute with like a a chicken head and maybe some drums it's like I, yeah. I bet you you would see a whole bunch of different stuff in it if you asked a different person but that's the one yeah that's the back cover of the lp it's yeah it's by kurt what do you see in it pretty much what you just there's a couple bongo drums i mean it's very i'm not a huge uh, art historian but i think kurt has said that he's influenced by picasso the cover art 
I would say is way more Picasso than the the back cover art. Uh, Not I, as an art historian, though. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, now who's the art historian? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the cover is very Picasso-esque at all, to be honest with you. Oh, my God. All right. We, we need the central scrutinizer on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's great artwork. It's an awesome album. Well, we should talk about, I think you mentioned where it was recorded. Total Access by Spot, January 85. The three guys are the only players on it. We mentioned that they say thanks to Daryl DeMarco on the back cover. It has their uh, their Phoenix address, too, which is cool. I mean, starting to see bands do that way back then, you know, hey, write us directly, right? Yep. That's very cool. What does it have for you in terms of a lyric sheet? Mine kind of looks like almost like uh, Minuteman New Alliance Records typeface on the inside of mine. Uh, well, my like the Ryko reissue has them all typed out. And I mean, you need the lyrics because Meat Puppets have amazing lyrics. Is it ballot result time? I think it is. Let's do it. Ballot result. I Honestly, I could pick any one of these songs. Any one? Any one of them. I think my favorites are Up on the Sun, Maiden's Milk, Swimming Ground, and Two Rivers. There are a lot of good songs on this record. This is your pick for sure, but it seems it seems hard to pick a song other than either Up on the Sun or Swimming Ground in my mind. Yeah, I'm going to go with Up on the Sun. Cool. Ryan, what's next week? So next week is a new band for us, SST40, Das Damen. And a very cool story there, and looking forward to getting into that one. Yeah, we've got a couple of guests next week, Ryan. We've got Jim Walters and Alex Totino from Dos Domin. Cool. Looking forward to hearing that. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. 